Lady Chaos Rain. Chaos Rain presents Coding is Life and Life is a Code with special guests Cameron. Broadcast October the 25th, 2020. Enjoy. Solutions hosted by Tyrone Thompson at TalkRealSolutions.com are the views of Tyrone Thompson and do not reflect the views of TalkRealSolutions.com, YouTube, or etc. The content here belongs to Talk Real Solutions and its many contributors. Views and opinions expressed by all contributors belong to them and not TalkRealSolutions.com or Tyrone Thompson, the host, or etc. All data and information provided on the site is for informational purposes only. Talk Real Solutions makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, 
suitability or validity of any information on this site and will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its display or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. In a world where there's crime, corruption, murder, rape, violence, death, and all forms of atrocities that plague the world in which we live in today, what you're witnessing, we are living in a state of chaos and taking more greater or more extreme chaos to restore the order in which the world we live in today. Good evening, my people, my people. This is chaos here. And tonight, tonight is an educational piece which I'm hoping a lot of people will take this information and empower themselves, not only for themselves as men and women, but also for your children and your babies that's coming in this new or this third wave industrialization, what I call technical insulization we live in. But before I go into the details for today's stream, I would like everybody to go to talkwithsusions.com. And talkwithsusions.com, you'll see the, um, what they call it, the, the list of establishments from banks and all things that caters to, I guess, the African-American community in America. Also, you see the latest news articles and events, current events, that is displayed on the website. Um, and also, you can find us now here, Viva, on Facebook and now back on YouTube. And I will tell you where you can find that at. Um, let me um, pull it up. Hold on. I'll see. Let me refresh my page. You'll find us on Talk Road Solutions, the light page, on on Facebook, so like the page. We're on there. You also find this stream on TRS on YouTube, Talk Road Solutions on YouTube. So type that up as well. And I guess that's pretty much it. I don't know if anything else. Um as I'm just oh, as I um let me go into now, let me go on my page, see if Mr. Thompson put up the YouTube. Um Tyro, you there? Did you place the YouTube as well? Thank you. I see it now. Wonderful. So let's begin. Today, stream is titled, Chaos Rain Presents, Coding is Life and Life is a Code, with my special guest and first time here on TRS Talk Resolutions. Um, press star 61, um, Cameron, so I can see you on the board, if possible. All right. As I wait, 
Cameron is my guest for tonight. Um, give a few minutes. Star six one. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. All right, I'll do it for him. All right, let me do this. Let me find my lock on it. Okay. So welcome for the first time on Talk Resolutions. Um, Mr. Cameron. Are you there, Cameron? Hello? Hmm. Interesting. You hear me, Cameron? Hello. All right. He'll probably call back. Like, his line drop. Um, as we wait, not keep an eye on the board. Um, one thing, if you see me, camera, press star six one. It'll, I'll see you in the queue. So I can open your mic. The reason why, and I'm not sure if I ever did a stream or a call show or a particular broadcast on this alone. I am familiar with a few coding language. I'm not well-versed or master of the person. Or I see that there now. But I listened to this brother on another stream with um, other good brothers, and they were talking about a lot of things from politics and et cetera. But we were going into the technical side of things in regards to the industries that a lot of black people don't take advantage of. But no further ado, I'm opening this mic. Welcome, Cameron. Welcome for the first time on Talk Real Solutions. How are you doing, sir? Are you able to hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for the invite, and thank you for uh, having me share the information that I know. Yes. Um, actually, tonight I'm actually excited because, um, because as you know, I'm not sure if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, um, Cameron, but um, it's always good to hear other brothers that's in the field and not only have an understanding, but really – be blunt honest of really this field of, you know, just the coding side of things. But to notice it's not as hard as what they make it seem to be. It's challenging but not difficult that a person can learn. So, um, so you know, before we start into the diving of the information, I'd like to take a step back in a moment of time before we jump through the present and maybe on with the future. So the first time as a person on this stream, can you tell the people that's listening for the first time a little bit about yourself? Um, oh, that's that, that question. Um, just to keep it brief. <laughs> um, I mean, we have time, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The time's not really an issue. I want people to get full understanding. So the way how you want to go about it is up to you. So go ahead. Okay. Well, like you were getting at, I am a millennial. Um, I'm 29, so I'm a, a probably first-wave millennial. Um mm-hmm. I pretty much was raised like a lot of people, you know, was just told to go to college, just kind of figure it out. Um, I didn't really know to become a software engineer. It kind of found me. Um, I went Mm -hmm. to college with no intentions of being a software developer. I went to college because my friend told me it was going to be a party every weekend. I was actually going to go to the Navy with, like, (laughs) uh, no rank. I wasn't even going to be an officer. Um, I was fortunate because the guy who I took, there's a pretest that you take before you take the real test. There's a test where you typically take naked in a room to make sure that you're not cheating or anything like that. And this okay. dude was dripping with rank. Like, he, he's been through some things. 
and he looked me in the face, and he was a black guy. He told me, he's like, look, you're smart. I looked at your test. If you come into the Navy now, it's just going to be a waste. So he basically told me, he, he, he couldn't stop me, but he was like, I recommend you not come to the Navy unless you come in as an officer. He said, go to college and then come back if you still want it. Went to college. Wow. This is the ABVAC yeah. ab test? Was one of those I tests? didn't get to that. There's a, there's a pretest. So I was looking for scholarships. I had a 2.7 in high school, so I shouldn't have been looking for anything. But I was still looking for scholarships. Okay. And um, okay. I clicked on one of those advertisements with the Navy. They called me back, and they picked me up and took me to their center. I didn't know how serious they were about trying to get recruits. I was just kind of clicking stuff because they say $250,000, you know, we'll pay for everything. So I'm like, yeah, I'll click this. So they ask you a bunch of questions, and, you know, my questions, he, there's cards. They try to keep it real simple. And he said, I looked at the cards that you selected, and you said you wanted education, stability, and to be well-traveled. And he was like, a lot of people don't pick these cards. And, you know, we talked for like 40 minutes, and he, he just gave me a strong recommendation. He said, do not come into the Navy right now. So I go to college, fast forward through some middle part, and there's a moment where you have to pick what major you're going to be in. And the lady asked me, what did I want? And I said, I don't know, but I don't want to not do, you know, I don't want to just do general studies. That seems like a waste of time. And so she said, all right, what do you like? I said, I like computers, and I'm okay with math. I had actually done remedial courses in uh, high school and uh, middle school when it came to math. So that's actually pretty important for the story. And so um, she was like, all right, cool. We got uh, information systems and we got something, something else, and uh, we got computer science. And I was like, well, which one's the hardest one? And she said, computer science. So I said, let me do that. And pretty much the rest is history. I didn't know about the average income of computer scientists. I didn't know that computer scientists typically become programmers. I'm serious that everything was pretty much dumb luck, and everything just kind of started falling into place. Um, that's how I got into the industry because, of course, I graduated college um, barely, but I did. Graduated with like a 2.7. The reason why I always say my GPAs is because when you're in this industry, there's this strong emphasis on academics. And while I'm not going to tell somebody to slack or be stupid, um, the academics are important in ways that they don't tell you. So they train you for something that you're not technically going to do, but it's useful. It's really weird and paradoxical, I know. So uh, this is before Craigslist became the swamp it is now. got my first job off Craigslist because if you have a 2.7, I graduated exactly like a 2.7. Um, you've got to have like a 3.0 to get like the really good jobs. If you want to, and in the area that I work in, there's a couple Fortune 1,000 companies or Fortune 500 companies where they just have a system. You need a 3.0. You need to have the bells and whistles to just even be looked at. So nobody was looking at me. I hopped on Craigslist. I figured if you're on Craigslist, you're desperate, I'm desperate, let's just be desperate together. And I got my first job. And after you get your first job, you never really have to bring up your GPA or school experience anymore. And that's pretty much what took me off. That put me in the .NET development space. Um, from there, I followed my now wife to her college, and I did automation development. And then I came back here to do uh, Angular development with a C-sharp back end, which was Angular 1, which was a lot difficult. This is before the JavaScript wars started. This is when the JavaScript wars really started taking off. And then um, from there, I pretty much shuffled around from C-sharp, uh, Python, and uh, Cold Fusion. And I've been a contract. I have a full-time job, and I'm also a contractor. And I pretty much do whatever project I can get my hands on and just get extra money on top of just working my day job. So that's pretty much the... The quick, the quick story. 
Okay, okay, okay. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, damn, I should actually let me check my page on Facebook. See, because one thing I did because I dabble with the coding thing. I I didn't say I take it seriously like that, but like anything, I'm open to learn certain things still, and to see which one. Um, not just to get understand the language part, but just to see a similar or difference. Um, let me put my message. I, I saved on the messenger. Uh, one of the top codes that I Google. Let me see where it is. I think this is the one. Let me scroll up. And if you want to explain in detail where how you want to explain it, it's fine, because I, I find this to be very important. Because as we know, this is the wave we're moving in now for a while. And even when I heard from other students that I've talked to, cause I talk to young people, and I ask them, are they teaching this now? And some of them say yes, they're now teaching it. But I'm thinking as you know, as we as black men in general, that when they start teaching out in the school system, the other people that learn it decades in advance, they're onto some other thing right now. Onto some other st- stuff. On the average, you know. They still learn it, but this is something that they got our groups years ago. You get me? And oh, I think they teach it my my thing why they teach it now. It's because they, it's like another requirement. Like, you know, say now if if you go out to create things or had, if you had to work a job, you have to understand some basics of language. You get mm-hmm. me? And, and I think it's like we are like 10 or 15 or whatever steps behind, and now they try to force as a requirement in certain situations. You get me? Yes. So we like late to the party. Wait, wait. Go ahead. I was helping a college uh, student out not mm-hmm. too long ago, and she was actually an accountant, an accountant. Mm-hmm. And the homework they was giving her was forcing her to use Python to scrape Excel sheets and just, just do a bunch of different things with Python, which I asked her, I said, was you taught any of this? Was you, was you like, you know, because if you were taught this or you took a previous class, these questions make sense. She's like, absolutely not. They just expect us to learn this on top of what we're supposed to know in courses. And I said, they're asking you to know a, a, a deep understanding mm-hmm. of Python. This wasn't Hello World or Add One Plus One or Print to the Screen. This was literally downloading libraries, installing libraries that you need to have an understanding of. Or when I say understanding, either have the ability to read the library to then use it because you don't need to master it. You just you, you learn how to use and consume certain things because, like you said, things follow a certain pattern. And if you don't teach mm. people how to, to follow that pattern or you don't really have to be taught to follow the pattern, as you fail, you're going to do a lot of failing when you work with software. That's what they don't tell you. You'll start to fill a pulse that works for you because it's not something that's easy to teach. Like It's not like riding a bike. You can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to teach all 17 of these kids how to ride a bike the exact same way. Each one of these people are going to understand it differently. And it doesn't mean that they all can't excel, but it doesn't mean that they're all using the same method. It's it's very cerebral, so it's kind of weird in that aspect. But, yeah, you're right. They are kind of throwing this uh, recommendation. I mean, there's this aspect on a lot of people nowadays. Mm, yeah, I see. Um, from what, And this is like, I, I actually Googled this, like, what's it, a month and a half ago? Because, you know, I was just, just checking, say, what's really top language that I could find from a search engine that they, they pinpoint? And it says here, out of the top languages, and mind you, this is like a few months ago. One, they said Python. Second, Java. Third is Ruby. I'm not sure what that is. Fourth is C. I guess that's C Sharp. Um, no, C five, is different than C Sharp. Okay, all right. Well, C is probably another language. The other one is called Lips, L-I-S-P. 
The other one, six, is Pearl, I believe, P-E-R-L. Seven is MATLAB, and eight is S-Q-L. So out of the eight that I've read, um, any of you have any understand? Well, have you been heard about? They're familiar with this. These are the languages. I with a lot of the ones on there, and um, even though mm-hmm. I know you Googled it, SQL isn't really a language. It's a query language to access databases. So, um, okay, I'm not sure the site that you got that from. So I'm not knocking you, but um, yeah, yeah, it was just a quick Google search because you yeah. know Google has like a million hits. So I just click on one. Let me just you know. And, and this yeah. is the danger that you and this is the danger that happens when you look at languages. I tell people, and um, I'm, I'm answering your question though at the rate. That's fine. That's C, good. That's good. I've worked That's with good. Java, so I don't forget. I've worked with Java. I've worked with C. I've worked with C sharp and C and C plus um, plus. MATLAB is really more of a college. MATLAB is not something that you're going to make a lot of money doing or any money doing. That's more of a, a, a scholarly type of language. Uh, most people try to avoid it unless the company itself is using it, which is not often. Um, SQL is extremely popular. There's multiple uh, query languages. So you have SQL, MySQL, ProSQL. I, can't, I don't know how to pronounce that right. Um, mm-hmm. And you have non-SQL languages. I don't want to deviate too far. But um, mm-hmm. it, it's not so much in Python, like I said earlier. So it's not so much the language that, that you, you care to learn or that you want to be married to. It's um, you want to figure out your region. So I'm in the Midwest. The, what you okay. want to do is you would want to do a Google search, and not a Google search, but maybe more of a search on Monster, LinkedIn, uh, Dice, any of those job posting forms, and see yeah. what companies are hiring for. So in the Midwest, Java and C Sharp is king. So when I went to visit some family members in California, Python was really big in L.A. with a section of L.A. I was in. L.A. is really big. I wasn't aware of that. And so okay. that in, in Ruby uh, is a, a good example of why you don't want to be married to a particular language. Ruby is a scripting language just like JavaScript, just like Python, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But there's a thing in the industry called hype. So what happens is programmers like to program for the sake of programming. I'm a programmer who likes money. So I'm going to – any advice or anything that I say is going to be towards the goal of putting money in your pocket, not so much to be the coolest programmer on the block. That is a thing in our industry. So Ruby had a lot of hype behind it, and a lot of people liked it because it did a lot of nice things. But a lot of companies started veering away from Ruby. So when you find people who work in Ruby now, they're going to be experts because those are existing projects. There's not a lot of people starting brand new projects in Ruby. So that's why I say you want to look at the life of a language. So if I was talking to somebody and they said, I'm going to learn Ruby, I would actually dissuade them from learning Ruby. Now, if they're a consultant and they walk into a project and the project is Ruby, that's a different conversation. You'll pick it up in a couple of weeks and you'll be good to go. But your first language being a Ruby, or uh, that that wouldn't be a good idea. Ruby, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that I just did the Google search because I never think of just looking at those actual other professional sites that people look for jobs, what they really ask it for, which really mm-hmm. is, actually makes better sense because you don't want to go to no university or go to an online school or help pay for um, maybe like Udemy or some other sites to just learn a language for less than a fraction of price and don't really know what's really required depending on your region, you know. 
because mm-hmm. a lot of people will sit there like like myself. I will dabble with all rise code to see which one sticks and which one, you know, just to get an understanding. Cause I've done Python in universities. Um, it was cool. Um, I, I see the hype of it. But I always wanted to see what other codes out there say. And let me see, is writing the same script, does it compile the same? And I find it, it doesn't in a certain language. So I was thinking, say, well, all these codes people say, if you master this, it will lead you to other things. It still hasn't resonated with me, Cameron. I say, if I master this, it's still not going to feel like it's, I got it. You get me? Like I, I could do other language, you know? So I always got to think, there has to be one code. Go ahead. Go ahead. What they're, what they're, they're, so what they're telling you is, I said earlier that school, and I'm not one person who recommends college. Um, one thing I always say is if you okay. want to go to college, it's not a problem. Go to college, especially if you're getting computer science. You're going to make your money back. But there's other uh, alternatives to college that still give you that college feel if you are a disciplined person, and that's the key. You have to be disciplined. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Harvard has a, a free online computer course where it's literally everything from the intro to computer science all the way up to a master's degree. And while I say it's free, it's all the work, the books, the, the lessons, the lectures, the whole shebang. And then I think they charge you if you want to actually kind of go into it and get a certification. You will not be getting a degree from Harvard if you follow through with it. But that is something that I utilized in college when I was getting stuck in my courses when a teacher couldn't really elaborate something. I went to their coursework, and since it was all open source, I was able to have, you know, another professor explain it in a different way. So to answer your question about the the one thing from one language to another, isn't so much learning the language itself. There's going to be concepts behind the language. And so computer science, and when I say computer science, I'm really meaning programming. That's just a force of habit. And there's a lot of things that are that haven't changed since the 70s or the 60s. Um, yeah. Late 60s, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are the yeah. things that, when they say will translate to other languages, will. So, basic the concept of loops, the concepts of classes, the concepts of uh, uh, functions or methods, depending mm-hmm. on the language that mm-hmm. you're using. Um, mm-hmm. These things, and those are just a couple examples. There's going to be way more. You know, mm-hmm. doing proper variable names, uh, declaring variables, declaring objects. Um, and excluding, because uh, you said a programming language earlier, Lisp, Lisp doesn't follow the structure. Lisp is actually something totally different. Um, I haven't worked with Lisp, but I'm aware of Lisp. Um, mm-hmm. Lisp, F sharp, uh, anything that's going to be functional, it might have a similar leaning to it, but functional programming languages is kind of its own thing. Um, C is going to be a functional language as well for the most part. C++ mm-hmm. was the object-oriented version of that. So the concepts of object-oriented programming will translate over into different languages. So as a consultant, there's this thing you have to do. We have to prove that you know a language. And I realized it was just easier to tell them up front, look, I don't know this weird language. Like nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to learn code fusion. But I told them, I said, look, I've, I've worked in seven different languages. After a week of looking at the documentation, I'm going to see what's specific to this language. But like I just said, the way you declare a class is going to be the same overall with a similar concept, the way you write methods, the way you, the control flow of the program. So a lot of these things do start to have similar patterns, but that's why I said it just kind of comes with a lot of failure because, you know, 
there's a saying if you spend 10,000 hours at something, you're an expert. Well, you spend 10,000 hours at studying the, the, the fundamentals of programming, you will be able to go from language to language and pick them up quicker. Now, you're not going to pick it up overnight. So when I went from C Sharp to, uh, excuse me, not even C Sharp, when I went from Python to JavaScript, it took me about mm-hmm. two weeks because JavaScript is very oh, wow. unique in its own way. But once you, once you get past its own uniqueness, everything else, you don't have to relearn how to write a loop. You don't have to relearn how to write a class. You don't have to, all of that stuff comes prepackaged for you, that knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, my thing is, you know, I always, before I fly, I have to really be able to crawl, walk, and all that stuff. And even how I look at it is, it does seem complex at first, but, you know, when I find it, I see it in a different way, or even let's say somebody teach me a different way, or I try to do it myself, it, is, it becomes a little bit more easier to deal with. Um, I think the the intimate thing about language or learning language to a lot of us as people is we're not familiar with because we don't when people when you hear somebody say I program and stuff it doesn't sound sexy to the average person but I tell people yeah yeah you had to put it away where people could feel not only comfortable but it's fun and it moves on to the next thing I want to say I know a lot of young people that's gonna listen to the stream I know a lot of people want to play video games. And I didn't know that there are certain applications that, um, depending on this Unreal Engine, which I have, and um, Unity, one of the few things I can name off my head, you have to get understanding of just the language itself if you want to do something. You get me? And I think mm-hmm. putting the game is, I think, the best route for any person, any age, to get, get an understanding of what they're seeing when they put a, a, a program or a script out. You get me? To see it running. Actually, I, I, I slightly disagree with that. Now, I don't okay. get wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, so I'm not. No, no, no. This, I'm learning, so, you know, I'm learning, so go ahead. Go right ahead. Because the, the, the reason why I say I disagree with that is not because you're wrong, and I, I want to be very clear about that, is you, I feel like before you program, you have to figure out why you're in it. So my example is, I already mm-hmm. said, I'm in it for money. You can make a lot of money, but mm-hmm. then if you're like, if I'm in it for money, then you have to find out that not everything is going to make money. Game programming is an example. You will learn things from game programming, so you will mm-hmm. write in that aspect. And you can make money in game programming, but the whole supply and demand aspect, a lot of people do want to do game development. So now you're competing with a lot more people versus, I don't know, a PHP developer. I mean, because the Internet is like 60% PHP. and. Mm-hmm. It, it, it comes down to one of those things. Like, first, I figure out: Do you want to be a web developer? Do you want to do console applications? Do you want to write desktop applications? And once you kind of like get a feel for these questions, then exactly what you just said. Then you just kind of get into it and start playing with it. But if you were to be saying, if you was like, I want to be a web designer, and you start with video games, you're going to learn a lot of processes that don't really apply to what you're trying to do long-term. You will understand mm-hmm. the, the core concepts, but um, you will get, it'll take you a little bit longer to get to where you want to be because you're going to have to unlearn some certain things. Um, there's things okay. that happen in game design. Like game, if you're, if you're going to be a game developer, you might actually need physics. And you go mm. to college, they make you take physics one, two, and make you take college algebra and calculus all the way up to three. I can tell you right now, I barely use algebra on my day-to-day basis. I work for a banking company, 
So I might get a little mathematical, but that as I've had ten plus jobs, and this is probably the most math that I used, and it's very, it's still on the lower end of the spectrum. But if mm-hmm. you are working with games and you need to use a physics engine, you you legitimately might need to know physics. So that's kind of what okay. I'm getting at. So if you're okay. interested in game design, absolutely, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're if your heart's in a different section, like you want to do mm-hmm. mobile app development, it might actually mm-hmm. hold you back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, the mobile app, I mean, because a lot of things are on the apps nowadays, uh, especially on the phone. So I, I think it's more condensed with the mobile app, more of a smaller version of things. But aren't you limit sometimes with mobile apps? People make things that's, that's normally like a website into an app on the average. Um, it it just depends on what what the what the person or the client wants. So apps get tricky, and as as because there's multiple ways to write apps. You have native code, which will be, and I'm only speaking for the main player, so Android and iPhone. So you'll have multiple ways of doing the exact same thing, and this gets complicated. And this is actually a battle within the, the industry, the mobile development industry itself. So you can do native code, which means you would have to use Google's native language. And I think it's Java-based, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since I touched it. Catlin, if I'm not mistaken, is the name of it. I think they moved to Catlin. And so you would have to write your entire program in just that one language. And then if you wanted to have an iOS app, then you would have to go and I think it's Swift. Once again, I'm not a mobile developer, but I'm familiar with it. So then you have to take your entire code base and write it in Swift. Well, then you're breaking one of the first fundamental uh, teachings of programming, which is never repeat yourself. But that's if you want um, – that's like if you're creating a game like Fortnite. You're going to want it to run extremely well. You're going to want it to – and I know I just used the game as an example, but Fortnite. No, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. I'm listening. Yeah, I, I want to know this because I see that game's been popular for the last three years, and – I see why, but go ahead. Go ahead. That's a game where you have to use all of the resources that you can. So when you use the native uh, programming language for the phone, you have 100% access to everything. You can start using certain aspects of the hardware that the next level of programming languages can't. This next level is called hybrid languages. Hybrid languages, mm-hmm. uh, off the top of my head, you have things like Ionic. You have things like Flutter if I'm not mistaken, and then there's going to be a couple more out there. And the, the idea behind the hybrid languages is one code base to rule them all. Now, the problem is you're not going to have, oh, and React uh, React UI or React Native. Um, that's a Facebook uh, uh, mobile option. But the problem is you start to lose the the certain levels of power, basically. So you go up, you get one code base, but you might not be able to interact with the hardware in a certain way, or you're going to have limitations due to that language library, like, oh, you want to access the GPS system, or there's a bug in the GPS system of that library, and it's an open source project. So you're mm-hmm. kind of at the whims of the people who are who don't get paid. So using taking React out of it, because a lot of things – we use our developers are open source, which means people who don't get paid take time out their day to fix it. So you can't really wait around for that because you don't know if it's going to get fixed or not. It has to enough people have to have a problem with it for somebody to just step up and say, "Fuck it, I'll fix it." Excuse me. I mean, I'll fix it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when you know you have other options, which are paid libraries. Where I think uh, Kendo is a, a company that 
pays people to maintain that library. There's pros and cons to both sides. Oh, Kindle, the the, the um, what it called the audio book, the book the way you no, read. No, no, not PDF? Kindle. Kindle, Kindle UI is a, a software company that creates libraries, but the company itself okay. maintains their library. It's not open source. So to bring it back okay. home so I don't drift too far, when you're working mm-hmm. with mobile, and that's why I said if you was to start developing video games and you came into this sector, you're, you're, you, you actually went backwards to come forwards because okay. everything that I just said actually has more nuance to it that you would have to find out, learn, and interact with to then just apply what you already know versus just jumping into that aspect scraping your knees on, oh, do I use the native language? Do I use a hybrid language? And if you decide to use a hybrid language, well, there's another set of skills you might have to learn. You might have to learn Angular. So if you want to use Ionic, you're going to have to learn Angular. If you want to use uh, uh, the Facebook library, um, you're going to have to probably learn React. So um, and it's, it's not that these things are hard. It's just as a human, you're going to, Burnout is a real thing. You're not going to want to learn 15 libraries in seven months. That's You can do it, but you're not going to have a long career. You're going to have to find a pace for yourself. So that's why I try to oh, okay. tell people before you start putting a lot of hours into something to realize you just spent 70 hours of like really trying really hard, making a bunch of progress to then move somewhere else to realize you're kind of starting over again. That is discouraging. Wow. A lot of people drop out because of that. Oh, I see. Yeah, that does. That's very discouraging, man. I mean, I'm not saying anybody shouldn't attempt it, but you have to know the what you get. Actually, I know the risk analysis of everything. You know, what's the benefit? What's the end game? Doing everything, you know. Um, but you know, one thing I find with a lot of our people, especially men of our community, that we just don't have to. I'm. I would say not a lot, but not enough. We don't have the emphasis to really just to just the risk real serious things, you know, because um, think about it. You don't get the outcomes without putting any time and energy into something. And I feel because how this society is and how um, we have a potential to, I guess, be lazy on certain things, that we just don't want to put in the hours, you know, because the self-gratification is a thing that we're expecting, um, I think this this not only to us how we apply to better ourselves if we want to make a career out of this or et cetera, but any aspect, especially the women, you know, they don't want to risk nothing because they feel that there's they might not be a reward of anything. But as men, we don't think like that. On the average, we're going to risk it all, and then we're going to see that without putting a risk, there is no reward out of anything. So I think in regards to, like, better ourselves, um, to know the risk analysis properly and make the conscious decision that there's no way around it. You're going to have to put some time and energy into this. Just like if we had to put in the time and energy to, let's say, be, get good at a high score playing a game or, you know, doing leisure activities, you've got to put the time and energy. You have to put, there's no way around it, you know. I remember when Boyce Walker said it himself, when – he finished high school going to college that he was trying to figure out himself. So what made him discard what he is, he always tried to apply what he had learned in sports and to his academics. And lo and behold, it has benefited him greatly. As you know, if you're not familiar with Boyce Watkins, he's the um, financial expert in the Black Business School. And I always take 
not his his story, and I always reflect back and say, well, damn, it's not that really hard if I think about it, saying just do the things I do I like to do and put more energy and do the reverse, and then there's going to be a better outcome. But we don't think like that, you know, Cameron. We feel, say, you know, if I put in less time, I will get what I need. But really, some like learning like a language or anything you're trying to do, depending on who you are or how well you grasp the concepts, you might have to put in an extra few hours, you know. It might not be comfortable, but it will soon make sense, you know. And I think in this society, we, we get too comfortable with a lot of things. Go ahead. And for me, I, as, a, as a young person who was actually getting into this field, and I know a lot of people, it's real popular to say don't go to college and you don't need college, and I do actually agree with that sentiment if you have mm-hmm. self-discipline. I did not have self-discipline as a mm-hmm. 18-year-old coming out of high school. College is what I needed to become a programmer mm-hmm. because I was forced to put my 10,000 hours in over the course of five and a half years. Excuse me, I think it was four and a half. It took me about mm-hmm. five years to graduate. Let's just be straight up. I didn't graduate in the normal four. And so I had to be around PhD people who, and I'm not the person who's just going to sit in the back of class and just look stupid. If I don't know something, I'm going to pull up on you. We're going to talk. I'm going to grab somebody. Like, hey, fam, come over here and uh, explain to me. Why you, why, how you, get, you got straight A's. What am I doing wrong? And just doing it over and over and over. So you had said something earlier about risk, and there's not really a lot of risk in learning software, but it is a time thing because you're going to have to first learn how to think like a computer. And that's not new. Yeah, yes. Just wake up knowing how to think in a, in a programmic kind of way as far as like logic flows and these things. Is it more like algorithmic type thinking? Like, you know, Common Core, they try to teach the students to think computer-based algorithm-wise, the way how they teach the students now with Common Core. Well, I don't know Common Core. I, can't, I don't want to sit here and say yes, but there are a lot of algorithms in computer uh, science that they try to teach you to help you think that way. But mm. it's the honest to God truth. You don't really use a lot of algorithms in computer science. So if you're looking okay. at this and saying, you know what, I want to be a self-taught programmer, all right, it doesn't matter what you venture into. The best thing you can do is learn data structures. The reason why data structures is so important is I can always tell somebody who's self-taught over somebody who went to college. It doesn't mean one person is doing better work than the other. It's just their understanding of data structures. Most people who are self-taught don't understand the importance of data structures, and they kind of learn it as they go. Using a Mm real-world example, uh, you have different data structures like – Dictionaries. Dictionaries is basically uh, a hash table, which is basically a key pair value where you can only have, so you got the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Now, those numbers are linked to a, a space in the RAM of the computer's memory that holds a value. And now, you use that for certain things, and it's very useful when you really know what you're using it for. And you have arrays, which does the same thing in a different way with that. That space is actually the values held in that space itself, so it's not pointing to something. So you're not able to do certain tricks and techniques with it. And then you have something like an array, which is called a list, but they play differently. Arrays and lists look and smell alike, but they, their control functions are different. And so I would tell somebody to learn 
uh, data structures over algorithms because outside of doing mm-hmm. these fang interviews and fangs are companies like Facebook, Amazon, those super high profile um, companies, you don't really use a lot of algorithms. Um, the best algorithm mm-hmm. advice you can get is just don't put a loop inside of a loop. That's the best algorithm you, advice you can get because most of the stuff, like I said, you're not going to use. When I took algorithms, I needed to understand calculus. At the beginning of this show, mm-hmm. I told you I barely use algebra. And yeah. most of the time, when you need to use a complex algorithm, and it does happen, we have libraries. And so we defer to smart people, and, mm-hmm. and we defer to libraries which have been tested. Because here's the thing. You're not going to write mm-hmm. something better than what an open source library has because there's probably 10,000 people who have looked at this, punched it, beat it up, and spit it back out, and you come and write something. It's it's not going to be of the same quality. And mm. that's what they don't teach you in school, and that's what the, there's a lot of things that they don't teach you that you learn, like you said, just getting your bare bones. So I had to go through two uh, baptisms of fire, so you would say. I had to graduate college, and then I had to go into the marketplace, and then I had to unlearn things from college while chewing the meat and spitting out the bones from college and then kind of learning what the market wanted. And it's that's why oh, I tell wow. people, don't go to college. Figure out what you want to do because you're going to get your lickings. You're going you're gonna to get beat up. You're going to get your, your scraped knees. So make sure, you know, if you want to be a web developer, you, you, you scrape your knees in web development. You want to be an app developer, you scrape your knees with apps. If you want to be a game developer, you scrape your knees with that. And I actually tell people there's such a demand for programmers, there's such a demand for, and it's not even just programming. If you're not interested in programming but you still want to be technical, you can still go the networking route. There's a, And I'm not a networking guy, so I can't really give too many real-world examples. But if you okay. were to take a Cisco certification, once again, always look up the job market in your area before you spend money on anything to make sure that it's applicable. There's no point in spending $1,000 on something and nobody in Wyoming wants a Cisco certification. You know, that's that's kind of something that they also <laughs> tell a lot of people. But say, you know, Cisco's popping where you at. And, you know, you don't want to do college. You, you, you're disciplined enough. You can do whatever you do to get things done. You're willing to pay a tutor, and, you know, you can bang it out in seven months, which is realistic. I've seen this happen. You get your Cisco mm-hmm. certification, you can come out making sixty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000, depending on your region, debt-free. I mean, you spent, what, a couple thousand dollars, but that's not $60,000. That's not going to yeah, change your life as far as debt goes. Yeah, and and I think right now the average right now in regards of black people that's in the debt situation, I think the women accumulate the most debt out of most of it because they're the ones that are in college more than us on the average. I'm not saying black men are not in college, but, you know, women are going to be in school more than, you know, because a lot of dudes on the average, um, either we're there or not, a lot of us don't want to take on a lot of debt if it's not going to benefit us in the end game, you know, unless we know what we're going to get into. You get me? Um, yeah, I mean, that's how I've, I've most seen people in school. Um, I mm-hmm. have confirmation bias because when I was in school, I hung around black people. Um, when I went mm-hmm. to school, first thing I did was like, where are the black women at? And you go to black women, there's going to be black men, so then you find the black community. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people in school, or like you said earlier, finding themselves, regardless of their major, a lot of people was just, following their, their teachings from their parents, you know, go to college, get a good job. And yeah. like I said, I was fortunate because I picked something that just so happens to pay very well. 
I didn't know. Like, my first job, the first thing I wanted to do was sociology. Um, the only reason why okay. I didn't go into sociology was uh, the teacher. The teacher told me, he was like, hey, you know, you're really good at this course. I was good at history, and I was good at sociology, and I was good at philosophy. All things that pay no money. Even when you get a doctor, PhD, like, the money is still kind of scarce. And mm-hmm. I was fortunate that each one of those guys just kept it a buck fifty with me. It was just like, hey, you know what? You're really good at this. You're good at history. You're good at sociology. You're good at philosophy. But, man, we're not eating. You know, I'm a, he's a college professor, so he's doing well. But as a person who has that degree, he knows several other people with that degree. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'm not everybody's doing what I'm doing. And same thing with the sociology professor. He's just like, you're going to have to create because I asked him, I said, you know, I want to do this for a living. What what, what does the job market look like? And he just said, you would have to create something. You would have to make something up and just hope for the best. That wasn't that wasn't yeah. for me. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not a way. Let's uh, say if you take this so-called frivolous degree, you're going to, have to create some out of this. And I say, create what? I thought there's some that there's some idea the doors open to you know hire me. I don't want to be creating off of something that I just learned took four years out of it. I mean, that's not the plan or the think of the average person going into it, you know. Because to be honest with you, most college, when we go to college on the average, is to really work for somebody else, you know, on the average. Because that's what the same exactly. message our parents teach us. Say, get good grades, go to college, get a job. So really it's not teaching or promoting the opposite. And then this now technical age we're in now. Some people call it the fourth way industry. I like to call it, the, we are now living in the age of technology, the technical industry now. Everything is tech-based, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I like to label. I like to give a different label, so I'm like, go by what people say, you know, I like call it something else. So, yeah. Um, the call number for tonight's show, for those that are listening, is 712-770-4160. The access code is 91, I mean, sorry, 977 977- one nine four pound. I repeat, seven one two seven seven zero four one six zero. The new access code is nine seven seven one nine four pound. Tonight, the subject of talking is chaos rain presents coding is life and life is a code with my guest Cameron. Um, once before I say, I'm just looking at the chat room here on them, and it looked like. One, well, I got we got one thumb down. I don't know why they give us thumb down. Anyway, um, one person asked, um, "Did the guest consider joining the Navy for a former?" Well, I think he answered a next question. Does the guest still work for the company founded on Craigslist? How many companies has he worked for since that initial job? Um, I think he answered right, didn't you, Cameron? We have to really I didn't answer it as clearly. That that's a specific question. I didn't give a specific answer to that. Um, I okay. don't work for okay. that company anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, just a little transparency. Uh, even though that there's a very high demand for uh, software engineers and people with computer mm-hmm. science degrees, there's still a game that gets played. So, like I said earlier, the game is get good grades. If you do decide to go to college and go the computer science route, there will be a job at the end of it. But don't mm-hmm. do what I did, which is, you know, I partied. I didn't really take school seriously. All the stereotypical things you would, you know, put in that situation. So when I had a 2-7, it 
even though I knew what I was talking about, it's not merit-based at that point. It's just a game. So it's like they're looking for stats. They're looking for, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Awesome. Great. Now join us. So the first job that I got didn't pay enough. Um, I found out that they didn't pay enough because uh, a running theme in my life is people kind of take me under their wing and kind of just tell me the truth. And uh, there was a black guy at that company. Uh, I was do, I was very poor. I'm from a very poor background, so I was catching a bus to work. Um, you know, my mm-hmm. mom's car was breaking down, all of that good stuff. So he noticed, you know, the struggle that I was doing to get there. Of course, I was, you know, professional, prep, clean, and all of that. But he, he could tell. I guess he also knew what it looked like. He could tell the signs. So he was driving me home one day, and he was just like, hey, man, you know, I know the owner of the company. It was a small company. He was, I know the owner of the company. How much is he paying you? And I told him, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm getting $30,000. He was like, the dude next to you is making sixty. He's like, they're ripping you off, man. They're ripping you off. Oh, wow. Wow. I, that's just, that was, I had to play the game because you get in where you fit in. I didn't have the GPA. There was people in my graduating class, their first job, they were making $90,000, $80,000, but they had a 4.0. You know, they, they played the game the way that they were supposed to play it. I enjoyed college a lot, so... Once again, I'm not mad that, you know, I had to take the detour to get to where I needed to be, but um, there's pros and cons to all of that. So he told me the truth, and, you know, I went to another guy who was my mentor, and he basically said, you're not going to be able to ask for a $30,000 raise. He's like, that shit's not happening, period. He said, you're going to have to quit. You're going to have to get another job, and the raise that you want from this job, you're going to have to put that in your starting letter. And that's kind of what I did, and I was able to bump uh, my pay up by going from job to job. So I'll say over the course of six jobs, I was able to get to a very nice salary. But through each job, I learned something that made me more valuable to the next job to demand that thing. And uh, no cap, I, I kind of just sometimes lied. I'm not going to sit here and tell people everything is, you know, sweet. Sometimes I went into an interview, they lied to me. Like everybody's, it, you once you do about 10 or 15 interviews, you notice a pattern with interviews. In this industry, everything is pattern-based. So to give the game back just a little bit, what's going to happen is they're going to ask you 50 million questions. They're going to ask you questions that you have that has nothing to do with the job that you're going to be doing. And that's why I said you go, you try to apply to a fan company. So let's just use Facebook as an example. I've never tried to apply to Facebook. I've actually uh, applied to Google before, and I got through several rounds of their interviews. They're asking you super complicated computer science questions, super complicated Okay, cool, and you can answer them. And on the other end of the job, while I didn't get the job, I know people who worked at Google and who did get past interview. You answer these complicated questions to do super remedial work, super simple tasks. It doesn't mean that it doesn't get complicated the higher up you go into Google, but mm-hmm. it's one of those joints where, okay, that's Google. They're going to probably have spaces where you do need to know, you know, complicated algorithms. But the printing company in the city that you work for, absolutely not. They don't need that. But if they ask you questions like that, that's just part of the game. And I started realizing how people interviewed, you know, the things that they asked me determined what type of job I was going to work with. So the first thing that I did was any time that I left my job and I applied to a new job, I just put – I took my current salary and increased about 20%. That was my pay raise. I was asking for what I was making now plus 20%. And then I think I did one jump from one jump to another jump, probably just doubled it from 40% because I said, you know what, if I apply to 100 jobs and I do 100 interviews, 
only need one person to say yes to this crazy number, and it happened. Mm. Hey, but like I said, it is a dirty game, but you have to play it right, man. Um, especially even the interview process alone that, you know, after they feel comfortable, you answer their questions or wherever that they see suited to them, they're going to say, hey, we're going to start you off this rate, you know what I'm saying? And either you take it or you leave it, you know? And then we find other people that's in the same field, they'll let you know so that you're being gypped. So, you know, but like I said to a lot of people, that, you know, always know your worth. You know, if you're going to do that, you do it very for a moment time, and then you find something better fast because they, they will take your um your time and energy for cheaper labor. Hell, um, I'm not sure you familiar. You don't yeah, answer yeah. that point before you move on. You don't have to be some yeah. four or five years before you jump. You only need about mm-hmm. six, like your first job, see yourself train. You know, you go to codeacademy.com. They charge now. It used to be free. But, you know, you go to Code Academy and you figure it out and you learn everything you need to learn. and you, You're good enough. Like, that's the thing. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to be good enough. The job is going to teach you the gaps. Or here's, let me not lie to you. The job isn't going to teach you anything. The job is going to show you the gaps in your own knowledge, and it's up to you to fill in those gaps. And if you fill in those gaps, you'll start to realize that either you're the best programmer in the room or the job that you was hired to do is no longer hard, and once the job is no longer hard to do, it might be time to move and ask for more money. Because once again, you're not going to mm-hmm. get a raise from your boss. And if you do get a raise from your boss, I can guarantee you it's not going to be 20%, the same amount of money you're going to get from moving from company A to company B. You're going to get 5% if you're lucky, and 2% of that is wiped out to inflation. So you're getting a 3% raise at best. Mm-hmm. I see, I see, I see. Um. Another thing that came to my mind, um, a lot of, um, I'm not sure, well, you, you're not familiar with IT, but I've noticed that they overshore certain jobs to the people that, the Indian people, because of, I guess, the cost of living in India. Um, are they doing this, like, not just that, but any job that, like, in the computer science area as well? Do you see that from um, India? For me, I, I tell people not to really worry about offshoring. I've actually been uh, a manager of an offshore team, and offshoring mm-hmm. is extremely complicated from a logistical standpoint, not even including the work. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes a lot to get an offshore team to produce constant results that are decent. And I don't even mean good or immaculate, just decent. So mm-hmm. a lot of companies will jump into offshoring and realize how much of a nightmare it is, and then they'll reshore locally. So I've worked with a lot of companies where they said, hey, you know, we're um, moving from our offshore model and we're trying to have people local, in-house, in the office. I've heard that way more than worrying about offshoring people. Um, As a manager of an offshore team, I can tell you right now, there were several days I had to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning because what happens is you go into work, you email you know, your counterpart, your counterpart emails you back. That's a full day to just say, hey, how's it going? Next day, it's going well. Well, what's the problem? The problem's this. You just spent four days getting to the point versus you coming into work and then, you know, Jack is like, hey, man, the problem isn't working. And you spend seven hours getting to the problem and solving the problem without even – offshoring, like I said, it, a lot of companies aren't – 
it takes a set of skills to make that work, and a lot of companies think that auctioning is a, its own golden goose. These people are smart. So I'm never taking away their IQ. These, these Indian guys and gals are really smart, but the problem is logistics, and a lot of companies don't want to deal with the logistics, so I wouldn't really worry about offshoring uh, of mm. jobs. And if a job it can be offshored, it like, again, start applying. If you apply to 100 companies, somebody's going to say yes and pack on your 20% moving fee. Mhm, mhm. I see. I see. Logistics. I'm trying to figure what that is. I'm never familiar with that that, that word before. Logistics. Logistics. Uh, you want to be more yeah. used in the shipping industry, but uh, in the example that I gave, uh, pinpoint okay. communication. So, like I said, something like how we're having a conversation now. Well, mm-hmm. if you're in a time zone where eight o'clock p.m. for me for for me is three o'clock in the morning for you you know, it's going to be hard to just have a communication where, you know, like I said, I have to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to talk to this person at, like, 10 a.m. their time. Mm, mm, That's not normal. You're not going to do that every single day, you know, 60 hours a week. That's not going to happen. That was abnormal, and we had to get that problem solved. So it took a special case, you know, for us to do that. But, um no, we and, and and opposite, you know, when they talk to us during our normal work hours, they're actually there at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock, maybe ten or eleven o'clock. It, it I, I don't worry. When I realize the company's offshoring, they're dealing with uh, internal processes that are probably bigger than what I really want to deal with. Mm, okay, okay, okay. I see. Well, no fear there, people that's listening to this. Now. In regards to the – I remember there was the same conversation that was, I, I was a part of last night. Um, and it was some talk about this thing about the Y2K that happened 20 years ago, that they had certain, I guess, programmers try to, I guess, fix the banking problems of the computer systems because they only operate a certain way after a certain year in their computer. And if it exceeded what was going to happen, certain things were going to collapse. I'm not sure, familiar. I don't know if you could educate me on that, because that was such a long time ago. I remember that. Um, Slightly. I mean, I, I remember Y2K as a child. Um, so yeah, I, I was an adult at the time, yeah. yeah. Or I was approaching <laughs> that. I was, approach, I was approaching that. I was like, you know, approaching it, but yeah. I was I was still watching Saturday morning cartoons, man. I, I didn't care about no Y2K. <laughs> I didn't know what was going oh, on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it said it was never really addressed for the last twenty uh, years. Yes and yes and no. So yes, because we didn't have the problems that that could have resulted. So to my knowledge, because I wasn't a part of it, this is secondhand information. So if it's incorrect, you know, my bad. Okay. Uh, okay. It, what happened is uh, a great example would be like the dating format. So instead of using the four-digit year, where to be, you know, nineteen ninety-one. They were using the two-year method, so it would be, you know, 05, 06, 07. Well, the problem was we was going from 99 to 00, and the systems, once again, you have to think like a computer. As a human, you're just like, okay, that's 2000. That doesn't mean the same thing it might mean to the computer. Or mm-hmm. somebody might set a programming conditional situation where it's like, if this equals zero, do this, and you know, a lot of people realize that uh, when, they, when they say things have to be modernized, we have this thing in software where we kick the can down the road. 
Mm-hmm. There is so much to do. There is so much to understand. There's so much to just get impossible. Like Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, you know, Steve Jobs really wasn't a programmer, but Wozniak was a programmer. A great His programmer. partner was, yeah. Yeah, even he, you know, as great as he is, the dude who created Linux, Linus, these people can't know everything, and you won't know everything. That's not me dissing anybody. So, you know, when they created the problem, they didn't think that far ahead in the future, and they just kind of programmed themselves into a corner that they just had to unprogram themselves at. Uh, Y2K was solved by throwing a lot of money at the problem, basically. That's my understanding. Paying people Mm. a bunch of money to work overtime to rewrite code, and it, it's a big. It was a big deal, but it wasn't the biggest deal. The reason why I also said no, uh, yes and no is, um, if you remember earlier this year, we got our stimulus checks. Well, if you qualified, I guess you got. Yeah, I, I mean, a good portion of the Americas, except if you're a brother and you owe child support, you are not getting no check, and you will not be getting a check coming 2021. Cause I heard they are going to bring out another one, and yeah. there are stipulations in that, but. Yeah, there was. Now that I was hearing from this conversation, I did not know there was an issue of the wiring transfer of that to be with accounts. Uh, yep, just because once again, um, a lot of those systems are made on older tech stacks that people moved on from. Um, I can't think of the name off the top of my head. It's not Fortran, but it's something like it's a it's a server programming language of on its own, and a lot of people aren't learning older server languages. It's just the nature to be. So the people who already know these older mainframe languages, they're making $150,000, $200,000 because it's just, you're not paying them because of what they know. You're paying them because there's five people per million who knows it, who knows it well. Like, you know, anybody can pick up a book and say, I know it, but like, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm an expert. Yeah, you don't got a lot of those people running around at the age of 35 or 40. You know, they're in their 50s, 60s, or 70s, you're calling people out of retirement to come and solve these problems. Because once again, like oh said, wow, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we kick the can down the road. Like, and 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 that's the thing. And software, good enough, is a phrase that they don't teach you in college. They teach you perfection. If you look at an open source community, which I do recommend people do to like learn, you want to learn to read code before you write code, or you want to at least try to do them at the same time. I try to akin it to uh, reading and writing just normally. So they teach you how to read a little bit before they teach you how to write, or they try to do it in parallel. They don't expect you to just go out as a four-year-old writing novels. You know, they're like, all right, we're going to teach you how to read a little bit, and we're going to teach you how to write a little bit, because reading code is its own skill, and you learn things from just reading people who are better than you. That's just really what it boils down to. you like, oh, well, I won't do that. Hmm. You know, that's a better way of going. Let me do this. Interesting. You know, it's funny you mention that because cause I, I've messed with a little online thing to, um, like I said, a few codes there just to get an understanding because, you know, I have like to learn little things as I go around just for my own leisure time. And I never think of the aspect of just just put a code and then I look at it and then and I have to tell what is it going to do. I never was thinking of it like that. Usually I see him say, do this. And this is the outcome. And said is read the actual code and think what's going to happen. I never think of that. And that would probably be a better make sense because if you don't understand what you're reading, how the hell are you going to write something you don't understand to read? Isn't it back when we 
learn how just to read. We had to recite ABCs first, A, B, C, D. You see the letter, you write the letter, and you know what that is. What, how you say A? I. It's not the same when the I come across when, you know, typical um, coding. As you did, they said, do this, repeat after me, and then this is the outcome. I said, is put the code out there, and I have to look at it and see what's going to happen. Exactly. I still do that even to this day. Like, for me, uh, and if you decide to become a programmer, you're going to learn until the day you leave the industry. I, I feel like I have maybe a 15-year, 20-year shelf life before I quit and just sell muffins or something. But um, mm -hmm. you're not going to come in here, come out with your college degree or, you know, your certificate or whatever, the way you get in the game. It's kind of like a woman. Whatever you did to get her, you got to keep doing it to keep her. So for me, I had to constantly keep learning. So I just was looking at Microsoft's example of microservices that linked to, you know, an MVC project that also linked to a single-page application that also linked to their Xamarin mobile program, but they all use the same back-end code base. I don't know how that works, so I'm just literally looking at the code, running it, putting breakpoints in it, just seeing what it does to say, okay, this until I start saying this makes sense, now I can add to it, now I can subtract from it, now I can just take this and make it my own. Um, there's a lot of that, uh, but to, to, your, to your original point, there was a book that I read called Clean Code, and Clean Code is written, if I'm not mistaken, by Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob is, I don't know his real name, but he's a big deal in the software industry. He's like a real smart dude who's very vocal. Uh, a lot of people who are programmers aren't vocal. That might be just me saying something off the hip, but my experience is a lot of people in the software industry aren't uh, profound orators or uh, uh, extroverts, let me say it like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, a great example of what I learned from just reading other people's code was just using proper names. It seems like simple things, but, like, if you were reading a, some, somebody's code and there's a variable mm -hmm. named X, and you're like, well, what does X do? That's a horrible name. But if this is an open, closed system process, you're like, oh, well, that, that's what it does. It's named what it does. So when I'm reading it, I already know what this is going to do or maybe not going to do. And you only learn that mm -hmm. by reading other people's code. I recommend being mm -hmm. around other people who are better than you. So you, if you, if, I know people like numbers. So if you're around 10 people, you want five people to be better than you, and you want five okay. people to be below you. You want okay. people above you to pull you up and then you want to be able to help other people beneath you because you learn from teaching as well. So you're going to learn from just being around greatness and then explain to mm -hmm. people beneath you, you're going to correct yourself by saying, ah, man, that ain't what I'm trying to say or that doesn't make sense. Let me Give me a second while I figure it out to really word it to you. Because if you say something that doesn't make any sense, it's like, bro, what, you, what you're saying doesn't make sense. So now you've got to correct yourself, make sure that you know what you're talking about, and then explain it to somebody. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, the call in again for tonight's show is seven one two seven seven zero four one six zero. The access code is nine seven seven one nine. I mean one nine four pound. I repeat seven one two seven seven zero four one six zero. Access code nine seven seven one nine four pound. Tonight's stream presents coding is life and life is code with guest Cameron. Um, another thing, because I'm trying to reboot my system, something happened. You talk about Linux. Um, with Linux, I know that's a free, um, I guess, software base for people that, I guess, that use Windows 
and they they want like a free um software. How well are you versed with Linux in a way that um a lot. Yeah. Yeah. As a developer, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna work with Linux if you go if you if you job hop the way that I'm telling you to job hop, you're gonna you're gonna spin up a, an Ubuntu box or two. Um, whether it's Ubuntu, Red Hat, or uh, there's another one that's real popular with business. Can't remember it off the top of my head. CentOS, if you're doing server. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why a lot of these are popular is, it, yes, it's because they're free, but it, a lot of them are they're free. Like the software itself is free, but like if you use Red Hat, you're going to probably pay a support service. That support service isn't cheap. So you're really paying for um, Linux is easier to develop in because of the command line, in my opinion, and the thing that you can do with the command line. So, you know, if you go to a, a typical dev shop and they're using Ubuntu, and they're probably mm-hmm. using it in a virtual environment. A lot of people don't just have their desk or dual booting. They're not going to just have their daily driver be Linux. You know, if you need to right. set up an environment and you got a script that somebody wrote, just say, okay, you can do this with Windows too, but it's it, – I don't want to lie to you. It won't be the it won't be the same like how the links because you said of oh, the command prompt. Now I think I'm familiar with the command prompt to like to put um, a certain code to get to tell the computer to do something in Linux. Yeah, I mean the average. thing is Windows also has a command prompt. You got PowerShell, yeah. and you got CMD, and actually Linux is on Windows now. Windows is actually one of the leaders of open source right now. They're integrating. Linux in the Windows slowly, so probably within the next really? years. Really? Is this because of the oh, Windows yeah. 10 operation center now? They now starting to interface everything now? Does it have everything um, separate, like base? Um, I That part I can't answer why, but I can tell okay. you with Windows 10, I was able to download uh, the Ubuntu shell. You can even download Kali Linux if you want to be a hacker, if you want to be like a, a black Yeah, I'm familiar, I'm familiar with that, hacker. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, black hat is illegal. Black hat's more fun, but definitely can't recommend it because it's not legal. But if you want to do white hat, there's a lot of money mm-hmm. in penetration testing as well. If you really want to go down that route, mm-hmm. you're able to install the kernel in the actual terminal. So it's not going to be a GUI. GUI is what what you see and what you interact with when you move your mouse and click around. But you will get the full mm-hmm. operating system inside of a terminal on your local desktop that you can use. Windows has uh, mm-hmm. you have to. You have to kind of do some configuration, but it's not hard. Windows is moving in that direction. But uh, there's there's several reasons mm-hmm. why developers move towards Linux. I think there's less restrictions. Um, open source was kind of like real big in the Linux community. So for me, uh, real-world examples, uh, every time I – I think the first time I worked with like uh, some type of AWS product, they were hosting it on Linux because I guess it reduced costs, and Linux is going to be a little bit faster. Um, and if people don't know, Microsoft, not Microsoft, uh, I can't think of the name. What's the other big computer company? Mac. Uh, Apple, mm-hmm. Apple computers are uh, they're based off Unix, which is similar to Linux. They're, they're, mm-hmm. for, they're the same thing, but they're not the same thing. So for this conversation, they're the same thing, but if you're in a room full of people who know what they're talking about, they'll get pissed if you say they're the same thing. So there's just a, a once again, you got thousands of people looking at a code base and adding and removing and fixing it. Microsoft just doesn't have the manpower to compete with something like that. It's going to be better. Like Microsoft can make it more pretty. Microsoft can make it more stable. But Microsoft can't compete with Linux as far as performance goes. 
they know it. That's why they're adapting the open source model. I did not know that because I know Microsoft is popular because of the software for decades. That's why there's more people that use Windows than, let's say, Mac users. If we really look at the average um, who has a Mac, who has Windows, you know, still Windows because of the um, software. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's funny. There's a funny story I remember watching on YouTube about that, about if, let's say, Apple had more control of the software aspect, I don't think Microsoft could be still in existence right now because they might bought because of the software. The reason why they're making mm-hmm. money is the software. Windows, Microsoft. I could be wrong. I don't know if you want to educate me, but I think that's the reason why Microsoft has been in so long as they are no, now. No, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I typically, if I don't know something, I don't speak on it. Um, I'm not familiar okay. with okay. that. I know that okay. a lot of developers okay. like uh, MacBooks because they have that Linux kernel inside of them. Once again, it's Unix, not Linux, but same thing for this conversation. And you can use the same commands, and you can you can do a lot of the same things you would do in a Linux box, but Macs are just prettier. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, they just, <laughs> Macbooks just look nice. Macs books feel good. Like, you, I mean, most people don't want to wake up, get a, a $2,000 laptop, erase Windows off of it, and install Linux as its daily driver, and then have to worry about installing drivers and making sure things are compatible. That's a lot of work. That becomes, a, like, if you're a high. Oh, wow. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a lot of work. I mean, with I mess with Linux for years now on my little laptop, and because I damaged, and I shouldn't damage my shit. I was mad as hell. Um, because I was doing some things, because you know, as me, I, I like dealing with taking things apart and then put things, but I like to see the inner workings of certain components. So mm-hmm. I took my nice little laptop, I think it's like 12, I don't know, I, don't know, I think it's 10 inches, and took it apart because I was trying to, to do some, and I butchered it for no reason. I was mad because that computer was still was good. It was running strong. It was like Asus or laptop it was a good laptop that's all i gotta say exactly right um, and that's the thing you know your the example you just gave or say you run into a software where it's only compatible with uh windows or mac and it's not compatible for linux there's a lot of things like don't get me wrong i st- i give a lot of ups to linux um mm-hmm. you know as far as being a server as being a workhorse doing specific tasks is pretty much unbeatable mm-hmm. but for the average user and the average interface it's going to be a lot of work if you if you really want to get a good understanding of computers, um, probably download VirtualBox, which is a free software, and then mm-hmm. you know, just play with Linux. Learn how to install Linux in that VirtualBox so when you mess something up, you can delete the image and redo it all again. Everything that I'm saying, yeah. if you don't know how to do it, you can YouTube it. YouTube VirtualBox Linux mm-hmm. and just look at videos and watch people show you how to install it. And then go from there. Figure out how to add guest add-ons because when you install it, it's going to be a small little box in the middle of your computer. You're going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. Now you install guest add-ons. You're going to feel a sense of, you know, like, oh, I just did something because you did. It's, it's That's an accomplishment. Um, mm-hmm. Learn how to interact with things through the, the – com- the command prompt is extremely powerful. Writing scripts, whether it's in Windows or Linux or Unix, is very powerful, and that's – that's a skill in itself. That's a job in itself. Like if you can do that, you can almost be a master sysadmin if you could just master the terminal and understand networking concepts and working with the terminal. There's so mm. much 
money when it comes to computers. The thing is, even myself included, there's just a lot of unknown unknowns. So the things that I'm not really good with is, well, I can use the terminal. I'm using it for what I need it, but I'm not able to write a script to help you out. You know, I can work with uh, deployments, but I'm not good enough to have a job where I create deployment processes for people. You know, like mm-hmm. I said in another conversation, you know, if you really want to eat right now, if you just care about money, learn AWS. Learn uh, mm-hmm. Azure. Look into those things and understand those comp- uh, concepts and get a couple certifications and then make a profile on Upwork and then just start banging that out. It's okay. Upwork is very competitive, so it's not for the faint of heart. I made $22 tonight on Upwork, and okay. uh, it's okay. been about two and a half weeks, so <laughs> I wouldn't quit yeah. my day job to get on Upwork. Let me just say that. Yeah, part. I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> All um, right, we have one caller. Let me, let, me, let me see what this car has. All right, caller, I hope you're lying. Who's this? Hey, what's going on, Gary? How you doing? That's good. All right, all right. What's good, Jay? All right, yeah, so in technology, I want to say that, um, or ask, um, when you was mentioning, like, uh, Microsoft Windows versus uh, uh, Mac OS, um, is it, and maybe what Gary had. Linux. Right, and no, no, but what you had said before is how, how, Vulnerable, or, or the reason why Microsoft or Windows sell so much, or or it's uh, mm-hmm. you know people use it a lot, is because of the software. And then another thing is that why Microsoft Windows is more vulnerable is because it's considered more uh, you know like the standard cheapest cheaper computer if you want to say PC um, setup versus. Okay the Mac and then um when you talk about Mac, you know, uh they 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 say that Mac is is used as a standard in, you know, video and audio type of work, um, graphics and things like that. What do you think about that? I didn't think of that. That's a good question. Okay. It it was at one point. Um I know in the in the mid two thousands and like, you know, earlier than that MacBook was actually Macs. Uh, many kinds of Macs were actually uh, designed to be to excel in this area. Um, right now, while I'm not going to say that Macs are bad, um, I think Macs have a, a very niche audience. But I don't think you PCs, like you just said, they're cheaper. But the thing is, the the hardware has kind of caught up to do base level things. So. Mm. I mean, okay. if you here's what I my recommendation is: if you're starting out, get you a PC, and as the money comes in, as you start really hustling and you start grinding, and if you feel that you need a Mac, you know, and start an LLC so you can write this stuff off. We don't really tell people that much about starting your own companies. Um, look into it. Make sure an LLC fits you personally. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it. But if you're going to spend two thousand dollars on something. Write that off, especially if you got some money coming in, be able to write all that kind of stuff off. I, I personally, okay. I've been in the industry for seven years, six years. I don't own a Mac. Haven't had a, a feeling to own a Mac. I know a lot of creative people who own Macs, and all of them, I asked this question before, they all pretty much just told me they just felt like they had to have a Mac. A lot of them worked with PCs and Macs, and 
Uh, I've never heard anybody say much of a difference, and I'm talking about modern computers, so not not things from the, the mid-2000s. So I think there was a difference at one point, but right now Mac, Mac has moved from Intel processors, but from like the last six or seven years, they had the same processors as PCs, you know, so I'm not going to see too much variant from that. You know, you get a computer and, you know, you want to do graphics on it, you make sure that the graphics card is of a certain quality. And, you know, like I said, okay. money's hurting. You might buy, you know, something that's two years old. You're not, you know, what, a computer went from $1,200 to maybe $600 if it's two years old just because that's how computers, you know, drop in value and you're back in the game. So, I mean, I, I think Macs had a place, but I never pushed the Mac Kool-Aid on anybody. I don't really think they they had that same standard that they once had. Um, you might have it for convenience. So instead of getting a MacBook, you might get an iPad Pro, and, you know, you might have the iPad 10, and, you know, you might have some type of feng shui with that if you're like a graphic designer, a designer, a manga artist or something like that. You actually have the tablet experience to draw, but man, you got a Microsoft Surface. They're trying to do the exact same thing. you got a uh, Lenovo Yoga Flex that's trying to do the same thing. So mm-hmm. Mac has a lot of competition from people trying to eat their cake as well in that department, from my point of view. Uh, so they advance. You would say uh, the PC has caught up Microsoft Windows where Mac was ahead and you want to say the audio video standard at one point as far as production and things like that, editing. And now uh, PC Microsoft has software that works just as good if not better, you know, or similar to, to what a Mac does is what I understood from you. So so let me ask you one more thing. I think you're right. What I, when I say is, okay. what I want to say, just to be clear, I think yeah. PC is good enough. Like, right. even if Mac is better, I think PC has gotten to the point where it's good enough to where you might get better numbers from a Mac, especially if you buy, like, their more expensive powerhouse Macintosh. I think it's, like, almost $10,000. You're yeah, kidding. I see that like that, that that one that one yeah that I see one with they could put the um upgrade the RAM up to forty gigs. I saw one person bought one. They they I don't know. That's it, crazy, man. People people <laughs> need those, but you're making movies like The Lord of the Rings or something. You're making like you know Marvel movies with CGI. Like the average person isn't gonna buy something like that. But the thing is, even Microsoft saw that market and they're trying to advance into it. So like I said, my answer is they're good enough. And I think right. people are okay with good enough. Right, right, right. No, I got you. And I know that, like, like you just, I mean, you know, a lot of the software that's on Mac now, you can get, like, a Premiere, if you want to say, or something like that. You can use it on the on the PC. Yeah, even, like, with, again, I know I know friends of mine that they in the music field, so they use, you know, they some got PC, some got Macs, but... Uh, you know, uh, uh, the ones that would usually ha- standardly use like a Mac now, they can use a PC because they can get certain things that, you know, you couldn't get before on, on that PC. You know, over, mm-hmm. you know. so, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. I wanted to ask you now, if you, if you take like an old 2000 and something, early 2000, maybe let's just say, uh, I don't know, maybe 2005 to 2010, Old laptop, right? Where, what, what would you suggest? So you suggest putting Linux on it because it was a Dell computer or a, a mm-hmm. Hewlett Packard, um, and I, I, I don't want to 
you know, uh, it's it's not. I think it's, it's you know, it's a, I forgot Intel three or something. It's an older computer, but I don't want to just like throw it out. Could I put Linux on that? And and where would you suggest I get Linux uh, 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 securely online if I was to put it instead of replacing it with like mm. Windows? Uh, because I don't have the Windows software. Don't want, I'm not caring to put Windows in. And the last thing that I remember having on there was like a Windows XP uh, Pro or something or, or something addition. I forgot. But what do you what do you suggest on that? I 100% recommend you put Linux on that computer, primarily right. because if it's from the 2010s on down, it's probably got four gigs of RAM in it. Uh, at the time, mm-hmm. I remember when I went, my first computer had 512 megabytes of RAM. Um, we was poor, like I said. Oh, wow. So, Damn, you can't. That's slow as hell. That's slow as hell, computer. Nah, it yeah. was, that was advanced for the time, though. I was a kid when I, when I had the five, uh, 512. Oh, okay. Well, oh, this is like in the 90s. Okay. I forgot. I yeah. forgot. <laughs> so, I didn't own a computer until like the mid-2000s. Late 2000s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so to answer his question, when when my computer started getting slow, you know, because 512 wasn't enough, they started having two, two gigs of RAM was the coolest thing to have on the block. And then four gigs, I had to put Linux on my computer just to, to use it because I couldn't keep up with the updates. Um, honestly, I'm going to recommend Ubuntu to you. Ubuntu is going to be your baseline entry level to uh, Linux. Uh, Ubuntu, uh, Suzy, or uh, there's another one. I can't Debian? Name. I don't know if it's Debian. Debian. Uh, Ubuntu yeah. is based off of Debian, actually. So if you okay. they, they take Debian and they sprinkle some, some stuff in there, some, some things that they don't tell people about it. But if you go, the reason why I say use Ubuntu is because they have more, uh, excuse me, immediate drivers. Like with Debian, you're going to have to do a little more of that manual setup. Debian, in my opinion, is better but that's a little more advanced. But if you're just trying to, you know, get your feet wet with Linux, definitely can't get wrong with Ubuntu until you figure out what you like, don't like, and get your own point of view. And, you know, if you got two gigs of RAM or, you know, 5, 12, you know, not nothing that low, two gigs of RAM, Linux is going to work with you because Linux is a lot more forgiving. There's less bloat. It's, it's less heavy than Windows. So Linux was really designed to be ran for older computers and newer computers. It was designed to just work like that. So you'll you'll have a good time. If you go to their official website, Ubuntu, you will download the ISO straight from them. It's secure. And then um, I don't know if you know how to install it or not, but then you could get you a jump drive or a disk and just YouTube how to install Ubuntu. And, you know, somebody will walk you step-by-step, you know, on how to do that. Mm -hmm. Right, so like you're basically learned. setting up setting up a little driver, whether it be like a fire or one of them them drives, and then just setting up as an operating system, and then restarting the computer, have it, and then setting it up like that, right through an outer and then, source. Exactly, and make sure that it's connected to the internet through the Ethernet port. So when right. when mm-hmm. it's, when it's uh, installing itself, it's going to start pulling in a lot of those drives. So what it's going to do is it's going to try to see, and since it's an older computer, you shouldn't have problems. It's going to find the drivers for your network card, your graphic card, and just slap mm-hmm. it all in there for you. Now, if you download Debian, you're going to have to do that work yourself, and that's kind of why I say it's a little harder. I think it's worth it, but because um, I'm not a big fan of Ubuntu anymore, but that's personal, you know, that's going to be more of my views on, like, what shouldn't Linux be and not be, but for the average person, even for me at work, Ubuntu is good enough. 
So Linux is easier to download, though, right? Um, yeah, because it's free. Like when you okay, go to their website, okay. you just click the download button, and you, you get an exactly the ISO. They give it right to you. It's about seven hundred megabytes. I just did it three months ago. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna do that because I had a laptop. It might be like two point two gigs, or I mean, it might be one point two gigs. My bad, that's, but it's, it's that's not, not be bad. Crazy. That's not bad. That's not bad. I'm I'm gonna look into that, and I I let Gary know what was the result because I've heard about it. And one of my friends had done it a couple of years ago, but I, I just found this PC that was just sitting around there. I was like, damn, if I put Windows, this shit is going to crash all the time because it, it, it doesn't have the, the well, internal power, you know? Well, Big J, I'll do you this. Um, the guy I'm bringing in, he does this. He's an IT. He'll, I'll have him as my guest. And if you want to call him, he could probably guide you properly, you know, in that department. If you want, if you feel skeptical, I'm gonna bring him in on the next stream. Cool, cool, cool. No, I, I'm definitely yeah. gonna listen, but I, I'm I'm definitely gonna I'm I'm gonna look into it and download it if I could do it on mm-hmm. my own. I'm definitely gonna do it, but I yeah. I'll definitely get back to you guys on on a result. But thanks for the information. I'm glad you know, uh, you know, it's a gr- great thing to have you on. Um, Gary's always bringing in different guests, and, and from a technology mm-hmm. basis, it's really, really informative, mm-hmm. man. Thank you. You know, I appreciate the information that you're giving out there. I'm glad I can help. Oh, yeah, man. really, I really mm-hmm. do. Glad I can help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right, Gary. Keep doing your thank thing, you. brother. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, there was other, there's something that came to my mind, and damn, I hope it didn't slip my mind. Ah, shit. I'm not sure if you ever played um, BR. Or heard the thing called Oracle. I've noticed now that, um, well, you know, because we're now in the, the 5G status now, that now they bring in this new wave of how you look at playing video games, virtual reality, which has been always been talked about in movies decades ago. Now we are actually here in the infant stage of it. I'm not sure if you're familiar or know a little bit about it. Per se, um, when you say Oracle, I think of the database company that bought Sun Microsystems. Were you trying okay. to get a something? You talking about Oculus Rift? Yeah, Oculus. Oh damn! And I, I said wrong. Oculus. Yes, correct. Okay, cool. <laughs> now, because Oracle is a, a multi-billion-dollar company, and they're yeah, or, or, Oracle is yeah, database. Now, I know you're talking about that's the one with the um for the background for Java and all this. I know you're talking about yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, no, I haven't touched the Oculus Rift. I've, I, my friend had me play a lightsaber game at one point in like a, a driving mm-hmm. game, but it gave me a headache. I think it's cool for VR. <laughs> it gives motion sickness, so I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking that it's cool, but I say now seeing some in that type of form, and you know how a lot of us we like to look at things with a glaring light. And they have glasses for people that stay in front of computers for hours to block some of the blue image. Yeah, I'm surprised they never really had that for the Oculus because it, you're seeing like you put it directly in your eyes, seeing things yeah. three dimensionally for hours. You know, I don't know if yeah. those blue glasses really work or not. I, I like them. Mm-hmm. Um, they make okay. me think that I don't have headaches anymore. But, you know, okay. I've read that the science is pretty up in the air about if they actually do anything for you. But I wanted to say mm-hmm. placebo is still good enough for me if it makes me feel better. Okay. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Um, 
Let me see if I have any one more, two more questions. I'm trying to think off my head. Um, damn, I think mostly all the applications has been answered up to this far. Um, oh, what's your view about digital currency, Bitcoin, or all forms of digital currency, or where the shape of money where we're going? Uh, what's your views and opinions on that? Man, that's a very deep and almost political question. Um, <laughs> but don't worry, we, we, can, we can go with that in a bit. You know, we, we, we talk real soon. There's nothing really political that has not been said yet. You know, I don't, I don't, I, don't <laughs> I, never, I, I never explored it personally, but go ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm actually only mad because uh, when Bitcoin was, like, jumping off, I had four people tell me to do it, to mine it. And I'm talking about when it was, like, a dollar. Back in, in 2011? Oh, yeah, no, I was, like, the first one. I had friends who uh, actually hopped on the bandwagon when it started, and they did it. Um, you know, hindsight, everything's 20. Wait, wait, was y'all guys still in high school at the time? Because I remember when they said the person college. that – it was actually came out in 2009. It was created in 2008 during the crisis, and it came out in the next year. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if you were, like, leaving high school at the time, but, you know, I remember when it – I heard about in 2011, I believe, 10 or going on to 11. I heard about it, and I heard about the potential of – go ahead. Sorry. All I'm saying is they were mining it when it was like 5, 4, 10 bucks. So, you know, it really wasn't a big deal. You know, a lot of people found out about Bitcoin when it hit $100, you know, when it hit $1,000. These are the guys mm-hmm. I'm saying. They were mining Bitcoins when it was 5 and $10. They mined a hell of a lot of Bitcoin. I missed out on all of that, so I'm pissed because, you know, like I said, I, I had I was all the stories I told you was like, oh, somebody hopped out the bushes and said, do this and do this. The same thing happened with me and Bitcoin. I was just like, ah, that shit's stupid. That's literally kind of what I did. I just waved my hand. I was like, man, that that ain't about to do nothing. And here I am, like, man, I could have a lot of money had I just <laughs> did a little Bitcoin back in the day. Um. But to to answer your question, though, about the the future of Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. without getting political, because then, you know, i got to, like, explain certain things to explain certain things. I mean, the U.S. I mean, you you can can go ahead. We we know no strange here. I mean, this is all educational purpose. Um, This is all for people to get better understanding. Because I'll tell you a story about myself. When I heard about Bitcoin, this is back um, 10 or maybe 9 years ago, I've heard about, you know, from another podcast back before I came on to this stream a few years later, that this is something that is not only a wave of the future, but a lot of people are going to get filthy rich. Now, I think about when the time when Bitcoin came out, it was like less than pennies in selling at the time. And like always, like many people, I never jumped into because I didn't know how to get in like that much. just don't see the possibilities of the outcomes down the line. But when I looked at the exceeding boom four years ago, I may, I look back at them that I heard about from other podcasts, then make a move just to start buying some. Now you see it was like up to almost 10K a coin at the time. But like the I said, problem, the problem that I had with Bitcoin and I still have yeah. with Bitcoin, and this isn't even a political thing, is uh, the the dollar fluidity with Bitcoin. So the issue with Bitcoin isn't so much that it's not a good idea or a good concept. It's just 
like I was about to say, the U.S. government is either playing around with the idea of doing a digital dollar cryptocurrency, or they, I know they talk about it. I don't know how far along that that has moved. But um, I know they scared people not to invest in it at the time when it started really booming. They had to. They, they had to. There was, there's a lot of reasons why they had to. But um, I, I, I think I know the reason why, because if people start converting to actual some form of value, then the, I don't know how much the value of the United States currency will be if people start moving off of that in America. That is in America. And, and there's there's a lot of energy behind that, that, that U.S. denominated debt. So the what I noticed was when I was – even though I wasn't in it to make money, I was still following it. And there was a lot of people having issues getting money for Bitcoin. And that's one of the things that had turned me off. So say you did have $40,000 worth of Bitcoin, and you wanted 40000 mm-hmm. U.S. dollars, well, a lot of people were starting to find uh, brick walls and actually turning that into liquid cash. And the Chinese is actually um, mm-hmm. got a heavy hand in Bitcoin. Um, I don't yeah, because really it came from Asia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about the Chinese government. I just know that they play by a different set of rules than the U.S. government does. Pretty sure they mm-hmm. have the same old motive, you know, to be on top. But... Um, mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to Bitcoin farms or, you know, people, you know, playing around with it, there, there's, there's, you know, I, like I said, I don't have a horse in the race, but I definitely kept my eyes raised up when I started noticing liquidity issues. So if people are willing to accept Bitcoin as the currency itself, there's no problem. But if somebody's like, I want to buy a house, and the realtor's like, we don't take Bitcoin, fam, we take green. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that's my, that was the biggest issue that I, I find that when I look back at it now saying, okay, if I had this amount of money I put down and it gave me this in return, how can I – what's the purchasing power of this in the world that I had to operate? And I, if I asked that question, I don't think I would have got a proper answer. I heard people that were um, multimillionaires are Bitcoin, but I'm saying, how are you able to spend this money in a digital form to where we still – Use an actual fiat currency. Well, I mean, it, both of them are fiat. So the only reason why I knew about Bitcoin is mm-hmm. because of the Silk Road. Um, you know, back when the Silk Road was like the cool thing that only cool kids knew about. Um, and the only way you could buy anything off the Silk Road was through Bitcoin. If you was on the Tor network to to look at uh wow what are they call it they're not black sites they're there's basically these onion sites and there's a the dark web if you was on a dark web mm-hmm. and you know you was probably if you were smart using you know some type of VPN on a public service and kind of bouncing the IP from place to place so you know mm-hmm. people couldn't pinpoint exactly where you were uh that was that was that was the only time I ever really had an urge or uh, I could spend it. But I mean, I've been to California a couple times and I could order Chinese food and spend Bitcoin if I wanted to. But I've never been in a computer store because I spent a lot of money on hardware and software. And you know, Microsoft's like, oh yeah, we also accept Bitcoin if you want to upgrade to Windows 10 Pro. Like, if I started seeing more people accept Bitcoin, I probably would have a different opinion on it. But because of the issues. And the fact that I can't just spend, like, if I could magically find five Bitcoins, which would be, what, $50,000, I wanted a Porsche, I'm stuck with Bitcoin. So a lot of your Bitcoin millionaires are millionaires through the fact that they own the Bitcoin and not the cash that it represents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But, but like I, I mean, said, at the end of the day, they yeah, still they still have a valuable asset. So I'm not trying to take away their. I'm not trying to knock the Bitcoin millionaire by no stretch of the means because anything that has value, like if somebody's willing to pay you money for the Bitcoin, then you technically have that money. I just think it's mm-hmm. there's not a firm you can go on Wall Street or you know U.S. Bank or you know UMB and say I got four Bitcoins, give me cash. I think something like that is coming because if you look at Cash App. You know, a lot of these money transfer apps are starting to play with cryptocurrencies, but yeah, um, that, that you could you could you can get it and transfer it into some form of digital currency, which I don't mess and with because I, I don't know what they're trying to do with that. Like, it just seems like they tacked that on. So I'm I'm still looking at it and formulating my opinion on that at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, my thing with the issue with digital currency that it's been here for over a decade now, and like I said, when systems start to, let's say, slowly collapse and let's say the dollar has zero value, then obviously the world's going to move into more of the digital space with currency. But everything's already set, are ready for it. It's just a way for the right time to say, okay, now we'll accept anything digital, you know, for your needs, you know, because we try to get away from the physical paper, um, which we're not going to see gone to like another 10 years right now so by the end of this decade if we still use paper currency i'd be surprised but this is the direction they're heading now so like i said when i even asked a question about the direction it's going now is this preparing people now um i think if people didn't get into the game while it was still feasible um you might miss out to a, a way uh, i would say miss out in some sense but it's not too late to to best something into it you know for where reasons but my thing is this that there's no missed opportunity and what i've learned because i don't entertain investment i invest now but not as hard like i need to when i heard about it that we had to take advantage of things that is possible that could make us something in the return and i think it goes back again to what i said earlier today that we don't take risks yeah. yeah, we'll take risks on some things that don't give no value at all. But to take actual risks that you know that the potential of return is highly possible, we just don't do it, and that's our me, weakness. I, 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 I didn't look at Bitcoin as a risk. I looked at it as an early adoption thing. So, uh, mm-hmm. as a tech person, I have I have two issues where I can you know using real world examples. So you got. Uh, three real popular frameworks out right now. One's called UJS, one's called React, one's called Angular. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, you only got so much time in the day to like learn something. So say it takes you 40 hours to really understand one of these frameworks to be useful, just to understand it, not to be a master, just to use it. And, you know, I can get a job and I can do something with it. Well, you can jump on it when it's version 1.1. That's going to make you an earlier adopter. Now, if you're mm-hmm. uh, an expert when it's 1.1, Angular is at, like, uh, version 8 at the moment. So there's been eight iterations of it. You are you are going to probably be a domain expert. You are probably, like, the cream of the crop of people who use that software and know that software, and you probably command a high, you know, you're probably a consultant at this point, so you probably have a high hourly rate. The issue is a lot of the time, like you said, it's a risk thing, you you – you put energy into it, and it doesn't really pan out. It doesn't really get that market share that you really think it will. And so 
I kind of looked at Bitcoin in the same way because I didn't look at it the same way I look at stocks. I do swing trading. Uh, well, I haven't done it this year. I've done it last year and the year before last. I typically swing trade stocks. Um, mm -hmm. When I looked at it from my swinging, uh, swinging eye, when I looked at it from my, you know, my stock market eye, it, it, I didn't understand the principle of it. Not saying there wasn't one there because, like you said, people made money on it. I don't understand how currency trading works, but I understand that it works and has a, you know, a model. And I, if I talk to people, there's a language behind it. And I wasn't really seeing that with Bitcoin. Like the fact that people were mining Bitcoin, um, while dope, it didn't, it didn't click for me. This was even before I had the money liquidity issues. So for me, I didn't really take it as a risk. I was just like, yeah, it's just probably earlier doctor things. You know, you buy an apartment complex in the hood, and, you know, maybe that hood gets gentrified. Now that apartment complex is worth four times what you paid for it, even if you didn't fix it up. Or maybe it's yeah. the hood, and, you know, you're just going to get your normal rents off of it. That's, that's kind of the risk when I hear or think about risk because it's like, you're, you're taking a gamble on a possible outcome. Like, all right, I'll fix it up. I'll put some paint on it, put some toilets in it, and I can charge my tenants more money. Well, can't charge them too much because of the location. You know, little little stuff like that is when I think about risk. When I was seeing mm -hmm. Bitcoin and, you know, a lot of these other tech things, too much of it was just boiling down to sheer dumb luck because Bitcoin is just one of many different uh, cryptocurrencies that have had, you know, a lot of popularity behind them, but a lot of them died out. One of my yeah. friends was real big in the cryptocurrencies, and he had them all. There was like a dog, uh, dog cryptocurrency, and it was cool. You know, it had a nice little name, and it was a nice gimmick, but, you know, and he was like, I got like $5 worth of dog coin, and I'm like, he said, if this takes off, then that $5 would be worth $20,000. It never took off. It fizzled out. So I was just kind of like, I don't know. That, like I said, my views on cryptocurrency, I, I still, I'm still formulating them because I've never really played it too much. You think it's still early in the cryptocurrency life because it's not standard? We were talking about this last night. And, and is it because it's not a standard where you can go and, uh, well, I don't know, the banks, you know, put, it, put in uh, your wallet in a bank put a crypto coin in a bank, exchange, you know, put it in the system. Uh, or when you want to pull it out, um, you know, you can use the banking system to that. Is it because of that right now at this time that it's not a standard, so people are still skeptical, and it's almost like the stock market. It goes up and down. I mean, for me, I, I think crypto was even popular not because it was decentralized and it really wasn't owned by any one government you know that was the whole dream and idea behind it but for me for crypto to actually take off and be useful the thing that made it popular was going to kill it is you know like I, like I said earlier there's a talk about a US dollar cryptocurrency well that defeats the purpose of decentralization because it's pegged to dollars pegged to a government now, being pegged to a government is going to allow you to do a lot of different things. So we had already said on the show that, you know, the dollar is technically worthless. We're not on the gold standard. I'm pretty sure we all know these talking points and are aware of these things. But at the end of the day, if you put $250,000 in your bank and that bank goes under, that money is short. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay, right, right, right. $250 right, worth right. of Bitcoin is not insured. So it, there's a lot of, a lot of things that – 
what makes it great is also right. It's like a put. stock, basically, a share. If you lose it, you lose it. If the like, well, the share goes down. But if you if the shit goes down where it's gone, and it's almost like that the shit, you know, that company goes down. That's it. So if Bitcoin goes down, you don't lost whatever money you put in there. Kind of, but even even with the stock market, there's still rules and regulations that the federal government put in place to to mitigate. So no one doesn't there'll be no criminal activity. Fed, yeah, I know. Yeah. Exactly, and right now, like I said, with Bitcoin, it's decentralized, and like I said, I've read some things, you know, with the Chinese government and Chinese people have been kind of doing with it, which lends itself to kind of you know the deregulation side, but. You know, you can't start a company, issue stocks, and then just ghost everybody. You, there's certain things that the government's going to check you with. So, like I said, if the government does start playing with cryptocurrency, I think it's going to really mitigate all the benefits of the cryptocurrency. Um, once again, I'm not really an expert with crypto. I've, I've stuck with greenbacks. So, like, if somebody was like, hey, I'll pay you with Bitcoin, I'm just like, yeah, come to me with, you know, some ruples or something. Some they got a government name behind it that I can transfer to something. That's been my uh, game. Good old cash. <laughs> That's what it's always been, man. Got to be the cash, man. Got to be cash, man. Well, well hey. I mean, real quick, I, I just wanted to say that I just seen a special where they was talking how um, – Putin was dealing with, you know, he he's, he found a, a a lot of gold where he's at, you know, in a certain part of Russia. So he's trying to do something like uh, to America where he's using the gold to be, I guess, the standard or, or contribute to that to kind of mess up the the dollar. And they saying if they if if he was able to influence that happening. You know, because the dollar is just based on people's, uh, you know, other countries agreeing, okay, we're going to go with the dollar. But the minute that that happens, <coughs> excuse me, that they change that, you know, again, on, on just of, uh, um, you know, like the, 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 how the, how they say that the dollar's worth. It's like, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, mm-hmm. an agreement, but it's not, it's because I agree that I'm going to take it. You're going to give me the dollar, I say, okay, I agree. But once that gets wiped out where, where the people say, well, you know what, the dollar ain't worth shit. Other countries, then the dollar's going to go down really bad. What do you think about that? I mean, even though you I mean, don't mess with this the is, with This is history. Currency. I don't mess with cryptocurrency, but, I mean, this in historical moments, I mean, using Rome as an example, there's been moments where their country's currency was devalued or defaced and, you know, insert Roman emperor here who would – pour all the money in and then because they used coins back then and you know like people would cut the gold coins or the coins that had precious metals in them with copper or something cheaper and you know they had to remelt them all and redistribute them for me i don't i don't really trip off of uh what you just said i'm not saying that it's not a big deal i don't trip off of it because from what i've been reading and my knowledge america owns the silk road like our military is primarily used speaking from the Navy, for trade routes and to keep trade going, you know, there's not a real big thing with pirates outside of, like, you know, you might hear some pirates from Somalia or something, but, you know, a shipment coming from Russia, a shipment coming from Europe, a shipment coming from, like, a more uh, certain parts of Africa aren't just going to be just taken over by the Dutch or something because that's, that's not a thing. Like, our military is intertwined to keep trade open, a lot of people stand to lose a lot if America goes down. People want to replace America, but they don't want to take us down because even if we go down, 
Russia goes down. If we go down, China goes down. If we go down, China ain't, who's buying goods from China at the rate that we're buying them from? I mean, we buy more. Like I think we're twenty. But it's biggest customer, right? Biggest customer. So it's it's always this weird. And the same thing with Russia. Russia, America, and Russia have a symbiotic relationship. If America went down completely, Russia would suffer. I mean, we could saw that with the oil trade wars we had earlier this year. Russia was in a position where they needed money so bad that they was willing to just dump all the oil and mess up the market. They had to they had to have backroom talks with the Saudis. Like the Saudis and Russia was on a, a race to the bottom on who can have the cheapest oil. We went, mm. you know, we was winning because our gas. I think gas got to a dollar twenty five in my neighborhood. I'm in the Midwest, so that's. That was super abnormal. It went back up, of course, but I woke up one morning and I was like, gas is damn near 99 cents? What the fuck? But that's because, you know, they're over here having a, a race to the bottom with the oil trade. Mm. I mean, anybody that, that tries to replace America is also going to have to take the American problem as far as, you know, you know, Trump talked about it a couple times, the, 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 the military assistance we offer around the world. A lot of people aren't paying for that. So if Russia wants to step up, if they were to, to subvert us and crush our democracy and replace us, now that burden's on them. Putin, I don't think he's stupid. He's ex-CIA. Like, dude's smart. I think he knows the position he wants to be in, and I think he's playing his role good enough to keep his position in power because he's dealing with people who want him out. He's a dictator. But dictators in this modern era don't really get the same luxuries older dictators get. So he's fighting people from taking him out of power. He just killed the rival. He almost killed one of his rivals, if I'm not mistaken. He poisoned them. Right, and there was one that got killed a couple of years ago. Yeah, so he's dealing with that. And, you know, he's still dealing with sanctions. You know, China... China's trying to find their, I don't think they're trying to find, I think they kind of found their way in the world, but they're trying to expand upon it. You know, they're, they found their niche with technology and they've ran with that. So, you know, America's, I think we're in the same boat. I think we're kind of coasting, but I mean, I don't think we got the game. Right. All right. Let me check the board so anybody's raised their hand. And look like everybody's silent. So I guess, you know, and we are actually almost at the certain mark. So I think we have said enough, Cameron. Um, I hope people got a real more clear understanding of coding language and, you know, the business side of things, the industries. I hope this was educational to everybody that listened in. hope you learned something, Big J, on this I mean, I'm a JNYC, you know what I mean? Is my thing on? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Definitely. It was informative, bro. Okay, good, 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 good. Oh, and I see Mo is doing her thing. You know, I know when money is around the circle, she normally pops up on a Y, but, you know, love you, Mo. You know, keep doing your thing. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny, I got two thumbs down. And everybody's, hey, hold on. If you're watching the stream, please like the stream at least. I know that this is not something that is sexy, talking about the effery of the world, the community. I mean, at times, this is solution-based. This is talk real solutions, nonetheless. And I like to deal with the more practical issues that, you know, we don't really talk about and things that a lot of you Negroes need jobs. 
And, you know, if you're going to be in this field, you're going to have to learn something. So why not hear from a man like Mr. Cameron here tell you it's not as hard as you seem. You know, matter of fact, Cameron, you're the only person I've known that have laid out programming in a much uh, elementary way where some person don't have too much fear walking into this. They know what they're getting into. They know saying, you know, don't make it seem like and pressure people that this is something that, you know, you got to be a super expert. You just got to understand the basics, you know, and play the games right, and the cards will fall in your favor. That's it, you know. If you want yeah, some, I mean, out of some, you got to yeah. understand that that's the way to go. Like that, that's my thing. Hey, explain something like the person is five when it's super complex. You can, you can talk tech talk and sound real cool. See, like, oh, the model view controller method, and then we gotta do the onion architect to do the the the, 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 the DB like like nobody cares about all that, especially when you're really trying to entice people to come in. That stuff comes with time. You know, talking. To, I like having conversations to where anybody can hop in you know, contribute and hop out. I always have to talk to people with money, CEOs and things like that, and they don't care. Even though they're paying me to literally do the job, they don't care about the, the, the tech talk. They don't care about the high-level talk. And I realize that works with just the layman person as well. My mama, we, we talk about software, but I just keep it at a level to where we can, okay. you know, she don't have to, she don't need to know the details, the things under the hood, just, you know, broad overarching pictures and analogies that kind of link up with the everyday person. And, and, that, and for me, that kind of came with the example I gave. Hang around with five people who know more than you. Hang around with five people you teach. And that stuff will come with time. You'll develop your own synergy just doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, I never ask you, is, is anyone of your parents, like, in the software field, um, General, uh, like so my father was a tech genius, but we're estranged. We met less than five times. So, I mean, well, okay. if any of this is genetic, uh, I guess that counts, but he didn't teach me anything. My mom studied computer science, but she dropped out and became a teacher. So, okay. I didn't okay. even know that until I graduated with a degree, honestly. Okay, okay. Well, you know, a lot of things could play a factor. Genetics is one thing, but usually what I've learned even when I said this on my own YouTube channel, that there's a video out now of a young man that's 12 years old, and he's now about to attend Georgia Tech to potentially be work for NASA. And it's not like he's exactly genius. We could say he's genius, but his parents, I think, are in education, and they took the time and energy to teach and teach their son to get him to level where he's at now. So when we talk about intelligence and the potential of our black boys, the sky is the limit. Is what you are as a parent doing today that will affect your son's future for tomorrow. If you're a lazy parent, your child's going to be the outcome of this laziness. It's that simple. You know, you don't put in the work, you're going to get the same results. And I'll probably leave it on that. Um, I'd like to thank you, Cameron, for being a guest on this stream. I think you're the first time you did an interview um, on any podcast, isn't it, um, Cameron? I don't know if you ever did this before. I'm a, I think I'm no, the first I one. I public speaking, and, and I try to, you know, interact with local things, but this is probably my first Internet thing. Uh, like I said, uh, to interact with people who know more than me, you got to put yourself out there, and that's kind of what it, you can't find a lot of people on forums that's going to mm. give a damn about you. Mm. I'll tell you one thing. A lot of black men that's in 
not only podcasts but YouTube, you you come across a lot of interesting people. And I tell you, I've learned a lot from a lot of different walks of life from other men throughout not only the states but outside the states. And mm-hmm. I make my time to interact in the digital space with mayhem as possible. And, you know, I don't mind picking their brain because, you know, I'm still learning as always. I don't have all the answers, but I always like to entertain the conversation, unless for educational purpose. And it's fun if you think about it. Um, we, t- we take life so much that, you know, we, it's a game. I understand that we need to laugh, but we, at times we got to be more balanced, deal with more serious things, you know, and still get an understanding, you know. A good laugh is good for time to time, but we like to, you know, Go back to the serious side of things, you know, because these things are going to affect us. They're not going to ban us, you know, to do better, to know what's out there, what we, skills we need to do, what we have to, to change. It's out here is how much you as a young man wanted to do just to put yourself in the right position, you know. And being around a certain space, it's going to guide you into where to go so you can present yourself into the right position. So if any young man that's under the age of, 25. If you listen to any of this information, and I'm hoping that you will listen to this information because I'm going to have it not only on this channel, but it's going to be on my main channel, Chaos Rain. So if you're not subscribed to the channel, subscribe it. You will hear these playbacks of these shows. So take advantage of the information on Chaos Rain. But that'll be it. So thank you again, Kimmer, for being a guest. Um, and we'll probably we'll do this again sometime soon. Who knows, bro? You know? <laughs> I got the email, so. If you ever need anything, just reach out. And, and don't limit it just to young men. To be honest, mm-hmm. there is ageism in the industry, so I'm not going to sit here and lie to nobody, but I don't care. If okay. Know, if, if you're trying to learn how to code and you're trying to get this money, it is out there. You want to change your mm-hmm. career? I learned a lot from a 40-year-old woman who used to be an elementary school teacher who became an Angular developer, and she was amazing. Like, amazing. Mm-hmm. So don't. it. Nothing's stopping you if you want to do it. All right, all right. Well, that that's some good advice. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, thank you. And we'll have this conversation again soon, all right? Thank you again, all right. Cameron. All right. All right, you have a good one. You're good. Take care. And to all everybody that was listening to today's stream, um, thank you for taking the time out to reach out to today's broadcast. Um, Like always, I do want to hear from you. If you're subscribed to Cast Rain channel, please leave a comment during all these streams. Um, also, if you're not subscribed, subscribe, hit the top bell, and make sure you like, like all the videos or give a dislike, wherever the case may be. As you know, today, this guy disliked more than likes last time I checked. I don't know why, but you know, it's not the popular conversation to have, but Nonetheless, no, they the information want drama. Is... They want drama. Listen, listen. If they dislike yeah. that you didn't bring drama to this show, then listen to one show that you do like. But listen, it's not always going to be drama. Good education information. I enjoyed it, and I like I like to bullshit around and drama sometimes. Mm-hmm. But okay, good information, bro. I get good show. All right, all right. See, I tell you how people. It's, it's appreciate. Thank you again. I'm JNYC, and thank. Everybody, I've listened to today's stream. Be on the lookout for the next podcast, next live stream. Until next time, take care and good night. Another educational broadcast. And I'd like to thank Cameron as my guest for this particular um, topic. And like always, comment, subscribe, and like this video.
You can also follow me on Twitter at ChaosRain7. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you, Chaos Rain!